everyone, it's Adrienne here. Today's episode is the first in our series of compilations and today's show is all about runners. So I've talked to loads of different runners on this show and whether you are brand new to running or whether you've been running for years, I really hope that you will enjoy today's episode, hearing their stories and hearing their words of wisdom and encouragement. I really enjoyed listening back to the old episodes and selecting the clips for this show. So enjoy. So you did the 5K, obviously you got the bug, you thought, yeah, you know, you weren't running marathons then, but I want to know, how long did it take from from that point to getting to, I mean, what you've done now is, is insane, but to getting to the point of thinking, I can actually take on this insane challenge? Well, I, uh, contrary to popular belief, again, I, you, I didn't fall in love with it straight away. You know, I, I achieved that 5K and I remember getting back to the pub and everything from my ankles to my knees to my hips, even the rolls of fat around me hurt. But for the first time in 20 years, I actually felt something and it was pain. And, you know, it might be sadistic to some people, but because I felt something, that's what then took me back the next time. Not the love for it. That came later. Mm. And I think, you know, there was still the nervousness on the second week and the third week and the fourth week. And probably more, you know, even now, uh, there's a slight nervousness. Of course there is. Um, But I remember after six months uh, of going twice a week, uh, I signed up to my first half marathon, which was the Bristol half marathon. I remember running that and, you know, I, I live in Bristol and it's a beautiful city. I didn't enjoy the half, uh, not because the race is bad, but it was just it was too fast for me. And I remember getting to the finishing line and thinking I'm never running in my life ever again. Uh, I went back to club on the Tuesday night after that and told a mate of mine that. And he went, well, this is ironic considering you're at a running club. Um, And then he kind of started to talk to me about, well, if you don't like half marathons, well, why don't you try running a marathon? Because that'll be better. (laughs) Well, this is what I thought at the time. And I thought there's no logic in that. But this is what I didn't understand at the time. And I'm, I'm sure you do here and many of your listeners probably is this almost logical illogicness that runners have. We have this ability to think what we're doing is absolutely normal. But to somebody that doesn't necessarily run... They think, what? Yeah. You do what? Yeah. Um, so anyway, after he took me through the fact that I could, you know, slow down, you could have a chat, you know, it's better crack at the back. Um, and, you know, the training was OK and you could eat more and all of this. I kind of went, yeah, sign me up. And that took me to Brighton in 2013. And yeah, nearly killed me. Best marathon that I've ever done to this day still, Brighton Marathon in 2013. And because it was my first, mm. a huge affiliation to it. Um, but I remember crossing that finishing line and throwing myself over the finishing line, um, being put in the finishing funnel, um, not really knowing <laughs> not really knowing who I was or, or what I was at that point, and then somebody giving me a medal. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's that's something I've achieved. Nobody can take that away from me. And I think that was the moment that I think my bug for marathon running started. Amazing. Mm. So then you thought, let me do it again and again and again and again and again. Well, not at this point, no. no. Um, I signed up to my second marathon, which I took me abroad to Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Flat as pancake, brilliant, loved it. Uh, had a great weekend, uh, went out with friends. You know, it was that almost sociability of running that I really enjoyed. And going back to what you said before, there's that no judgment. Yeah. No, nobody cares how much you earn. Nobody cares what you do for a living. If you actually talk about that in your while you're out running, you're kind of, it's almost frowned upon, really. Yeah. You're kind of all sweating in the same way. Uh, and that's kind of what I started to enjoy about the fact that there was I was meeting people. I was meeting friends. I was almost like my barriers were coming down. My confidence, my self-esteem was growing. Um, and then in 2014, I decided that I was going to take the next leap. 
Um, the 401 was not on the horizon at this point. I just said, look, I want to marry two things that I love, which is travel and running. And I thought, well, how do I do that? And well, the answer came in the fact that, you know, I could travel the world and run marathons around it. And I thought, oh, this sounds pretty cool. So I'd work all day, Monday to Friday, and then I'd fly out from Bristol Airport to some far flung city somewhere in Europe or, you know, take a bit longer if I was flying further afield. And I ran marathons all around Europe, you know, Reykjavik, Helsinki, Stockholm, Copenhagen. Uh, I went to Madrid, Barcelona. I went to, uh, over to Miami. Uh, did the San Francisco Marathon. Nice. You know, and I suppose throughout this entire journey of running 18 marathons in 2014, um, I got to the point where actually I felt ready to be able to talk about what had happened to me in the past. You know, um, you, you hear a lot of people say nowadays, you know, talk about your, your mental health issues, talk about issues that you have. And actually to some people, do you know, well, that's really terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's a really big leap to ask somebody to talk about their innermost demons. And for me, I needed something that kind of went before that. And that was what running was. And it gave me the confidence. It gave me the ability to actually go, do you know what? I'm OK to talk about this. And I went to see somebody. I spoke about it and it was the last session when I came out. I walked out that door and I said, do you know what? I'm going to use what happened to me in my past to affect not just my future, but, but also hopefully the futures of thousands of other people. And this is then where the inner workings of the 401 started to come about. Wow, well, it's incredibly admirable. And I think, you know, I definitely want to get into this 401 because, <laughs> I, you know, as someone who's training now for a marathon, I'm training for one marathon. And when you just described, you know, the finish line and you feel like, oh, finally, it's not just that race for me that's mm. over. It's like, oh, the months of, you know, the 5 a.m. starts, the cold, the, you know, the kind of the, all of it, you know, you build up to that. So I don't know how I would feel about even people say to me, Adrian, are you ever going to do an ultra? And I'm like, mm, no. So I think the <laughs> fact that, you know, to, to wake up and do that again and again, how did you? So, yeah, you, you got the idea for it. How did you how did you work with a team? Did you decide did you just pick that number out of air? Like, how did you even come up with that? Yeah, well, 401 is a bit of an odd number, isn't it? Mm. You know, so um, I, I it's think a what, lot. it's a big number. Yeah, it's a big number. And yeah, I, trust me, I don't shy away from that fact. Um, 101 would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I, I think for, for me, it was um, a combination of a number of different things. Um, when I came out of that final appointment with the with the counsellor, and, and, you know, sat in the pub again. There's a big theme to my running, by the way. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I started to talk to my friends and, I you know, we were talking about what, what potentially I could do to raise some money. Um, we picked the fact that we wanted, I wanted to raise some money for two anti-bullying charities because, that, you know, I had, that had affected my life, mm. the entirety of my life. And I didn't want kids to have to go through what I went through at school, mm. uh, be that from, a, you know, a sexuality reason or other reasons of why people get bullied. Um, so I picked two charities. Kidscape and Stonewall and then you know we were kind of batting about well how much do we want to raise and I thought well you know a million's probably quite a lot isn't it <laughs> and then somebody went well you know why not 100,000 I was like well you know let's go for a quarter of a million and literally that was how it came yeah. and then suddenly realised that actually you know to raise a quarter of a million pound you kind of got to do something big you kind of got to do something out the box because you know everyone's running marathons nowadays everyone's running ultras nowadays and you know it's, it's stopped being that thing of like oh yeah this is amazing even though it is mm. and it's an incredible achievement for anyone that does it but people expect more yeah so we thought right well okay well what's the biggest thing we can do in in marathon running in in, in running and i was never going to be the quickest marathon runner 
that was never going to happen. I don't run for those reasons. Um, I was never going to be uh, the biggest ultra marathon runner. You know, that, that didn't, a bit like yourself, it didn't really kind of, you know, get my juices flowing, so to speak. But um, somebody said to me, well, why are you like running marathons? I'd done probably around about 25 at this point. Um, and they said, well, why don't you do back to back? And weirdly enough, I thought that was saner than actually ultra, run, uh, ultra running. Um, but I thought, do you know what? That actually sounds quite a good idea. And then we kind of thought, well, what's the biggest thing you can do in that? And it was the world record. Oh, and okay. I thought, OK, well, what's the world record? And supposedly it's 53. It was a Japanese guy, I believe, okay. that ran 106 times around a running track for 53 days in a row. And I just thought... Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I thought I, even the mental strength of just being going around a track every single day. Um, yeah, and we, we actually, you know, went to Guinness and said, look, if we were going to go for this, you know, what, what are the rules and regulations? And they, they, they sent us this big list. And I suppose as I was reading down this list, I just kind of thought to myself, this isn't this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel the reasons as to why I want to do this. So in a way, what we did was we kind of just went, well, look, we'll forget about the world record, but let's go beat it anyway. Amazing. And it turns out there are other people in the world that have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was an Australian couple that ran a number of, you know, just I think it's over 100 that they ran around the coast of Australia in their 70s, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, a couple of American guys, uh, an English dude. And, you know, there was uh, all the way up to 365. There was a claim of a 607 and a thousand. You know, we found that there was a guy that had done a thousand, a monk for Zen, supposedly. Um, but the ones that we could kind of corroborate were the 365. Okay. So I thought, well, let's round it up to 400. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went to the US and I ran seven marathons in seven days across seven states of the US from St. Louis down to um, New Orleans, yeah. down the Mississippi, which was an incredible experience. And I got to run with this amazing guy called Larry Macon, who I believe is the world record holder for the most amount of marathons that have ever been run in a lifetime. Wow. It's around 1800 at the moment that he's at, but he's a, he's a lanky Texan dude and he's got the biggest and the most amazing personality. And he said, look, I love what you're doing. Have you thought of a victory lap? And I went, <laughs> What do you mean? You know, my British sensibility kind of went, what? Victory <laughs> lap, yeah. one more mile, not one more marathon. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of thought long and hard about it. And I suppose in a way, the way we thought about our victory lap was that it would allow, you know, people to come and join us for the last one. So we flew back to the UK and in April of 2015, that's when it became the 401 Challenge. Amazing. OK, I really wanted to know that story because <laughs> I just thought, how did they even come up with this insane challenge, let alone thinking that it's possible? Because honestly, like I think I'm somebody, you know, I talk a lot about mindset. I talk a lot about, you know, self-improvement, self-development, mm. kind of focusing on your your ability and kind of yeah I guess running is something that's very measurable you know you can always run a little further run a little faster you can track your progress which I love but personally I don't know if I would my mind would allow me to think that I could do it that is what would hold mm. me back that's probably what holds me back from ultras is thinking what if you actually can't do it what if you say okay I'm going to do 401 marathons you get all these sponsors you've got maybe some press involved I don't know any brands like you you've got this expectation you've got mm. people you know helping you with the training supporting and and you get there, you start. What about if a hundred marathons in, you're done? Like physically, mm. mentally. What if you can't carry on? What do you do then? So yeah, I mean, let's let's skip to that. So you've started doing the marathon every mm. day, which is must be insane. You've <laughs> trained for how you even train for that, I don't know. So yeah, let's go say halfway through two hundred marathons, two hundred days. How mm. are you feeling at that point? Physically, mentally, were you thinking I'm 
not going to be able to finish this? Uh, at 200, um, I was actually feeling quite good. Okay. I was in Glasgow, uh, up a hill just past a fire station. Um, and yeah, uh, we had party poppers at the halfway point. It was it was pretty cool at that point. I think that the hardest bit for me was actually the first 50 days. Okay, so you talk know, to us about it, that. Yeah, it was the first 50 days because that's where your body's starting to kind of adapt to what you're asking it to do. And it's almost, it's that physicalness of, of the actual challenge to begin with, I found. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's different. You know, everyone runs for different reasons. Everyone has different motivations and things that they do in life. And I think what I did was I attached different motivations to my running every single day so I didn't have the same motivation say on day one as what I might have had on day 200 or day 250 or day 401 you know there was a consistent reason as to why I was doing what I was doing and there were objectives of the challenge but you know there were certain days where you know I did wake up and I went you know my legs feel like lead Mm. I'm going to take it slow today and trust me again contrary to popular belief I wasn't running these at sub three hours you know I was running on average at 521 a day and Mm. I was having to eat six and a half thousand calories a day. So I was having to stop and eat halfway through. So I was able to chunk it down into almost manageable pieces, which then allowed for other people to be able to come and join in as Mm. well. Um, but in that way, again, though, some some would argue that that makes it harder because essentially running the distance is the distance. But if you're running mm. for three hours or five hours, essentially you're on your feet for longer. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So people, yeah, I do. You, five and a half hours of running every single day, mm. should, you know, can imagine took such a toll physically on your body. It did take a toll on my body. But I think, um, you know, going back to the kind of first 50 days, you know, I had all the kind of niggles and, and, and issues and stuff like that for the first 50 days. I, I lost 17 kilos in weight which started to affect me mentally because uh, I suppose, you know, I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't have any, um, you know, experience, dare I say. I wasn't a trained athlete. I was kind of doing this really off my own back. The team around me were a small team, which included my dad, who had come out of retirement from the military and was planning the logistics of the project in mum's dining room, you know, in Lincoln. Uh, Mum was looking after the therapy side of things because that's her background. Uh, My other half, Kyle, uh, who I'd met about nine months prior to the challenge, who doesn't like running, by the way, he hates it. Um, He'd given up his PhD and given up his job to come on board and project manage. And we had another girl called Tolu um, who was helping us out as well. And this was the team. What we wanted to do was get as many people involved in the project as possible, which actually was a huge motivation for me. Going back to what drove me into running was the sociability angle. Mm. I knew that running on my own was never going to be an option because I would not have been able to stay motivated in my mind. It's lonely. Yeah, completely. So what we said was from the very beginning that this project was open to everybody. So if you did want to come and join in, I would always run at the pace of the slowest runner, which to some people is a bit like, well, how can you chop and change your, you know, your your patterns and, and, and how you run? You know, if you're running a bit slower than what you would normally run, that could cause injury. I think what I put into my running was the element of fun. And I, you know, I kind of almost rid myself of all of the misconceptions and all of the, dare I say, brand and marketing ideas of the running community. And I just went, you know what, I'm just going to go run a marathon every day. And I didn't make it any bigger than that in my head. And all I did was surround myself by people that believed in me. I got rid of all of those people in my life that told me I couldn't do it. Amen. And then basically, you know, on the days where it was bad, um, it was bad. I'm not going to lie. Um, just shortly after the 200 mark, um, around 285, I'd just done the Edinburgh Marathon back end of May in 2016. 
uh, I think it was, yeah, 2016. <laughs> um, and I was working my way up to Aberdeen. Um, and uh, unfortunately, my, my back kind of went in, in Dundee. Um, and then over the next four days through kind of our broth, Montrose, Stonehaven and into Aberdeen, I kind of almost ended up in a bit of a question mark shape which was not great. Mm. Um, and I ended up having to go to Aberdeen Royal Infirmary and uh, I was told by uh, one of the doctors there that I needed to stop. And, um, you know, this was 285 in. I obviously started to negotiate with the doctor because it was like they didn't know what they were talking about. I, I've got a gold here. Can I just get to John O'Groats? It's 300 at that point. I'm loving the rounded numbers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, let's just say they said no. Um, and my team, uh, we'd, I'd signed a contract with my team that said if uh, if anything like this ever happened, that they would just pull me off the road and it would be their decision, not mine, because I was too emotionally involved mm. in the project. My dad and my other half pulled me off the road and over 10 days we, we found out that I had um, actually got a fracture in the bottom of my back and one of my discs had ruptured, which was impinging on my spinal cord and it was sending sciatic pains down my legs. And unfortunately what that had done was my core had tightened up so much that it had twisted my spine into a corkscrew Oof. and I was in so much pain and so much agony. But over the next 10 days I worked with a physio, a chiropractor, you know, a number of different uh, amazing people um, and we ended up back on the road in Inverness. With the broken uh, back? Yeah, 10 days later. Uh, then, unfortunately, we decided that um, instead of running marathons, um, we would run ultra marathons. You had to make up the miles. Yeah. Oh. So I still wanted to finish on the same day. I still wanted to achieve the goal. And actually, this is, I think, where the British public just kind of got behind it. Yes, I love this Honestly, already. Because it's like the comeback. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, let, let's be honest. People people we love, love a sad underdog. story. We love an underdog. It's like not only are you going to run 400 marathons, but now you're going to have a broken back. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, though, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm kind of, like I'm smiling because I'm cheering you on and I know it's a happy ending but I'm also terrified if I was your partner dad, mm. mum I would have been like you need to stop this madness because essentially <laughs> you have one body you've got to look after it you know it's yeah. scary for them to kind of watch you but I understand the kind of the will and the desire yeah. actually I listened to something recently that was talking about uh, physical challenges and and how you know the science can only do so much when it comes to you know looking at your blood sugar your pressure your all these things that tell you how far you should mm. be able to run but it was saying that actually will you can never measure no. and if someone has a will to do something mm. that is you know they're not going to stop because let's be honest you could have definitely used that as a get out card and no That's one good. would have no one would have said oh you know he gave up like mm. that could have been your moment to go yes thank god it's over i'm injured i'm out but you had the will and you carried on i think i think you know we're very good as human beings in putting things in 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 place to block ourselves from doing things you know i tried to make this challenge limitless i really did both in my mind and my body and yeah okay my body gave up of course it did but um you know i I was able to work with incredible people to be able to get my body back on track you know running running with a with a damaged back you know through the highlands of scotland isn't isn't necessarily the best thing to do you know when ben nevis starts you know and that ends up being the the second half of your ultra marathon you know you've got a bit of a problem but as i said the support that people gave over those last 117 days and and obviously before you know people got behind this to the point where on the final day in bristol you know 700 plus people came out and ran we had wow. two and a half thousand people around the world running it virtually including five in sydney which you know mentioned ten and a half thousand miles at the beginning that's the equivalent distance from london to sydney wow. so we had five in sydney running at the same time 
over there that we were running here in the UK. It was it was emotional. And mm. um, I think nothing else obviously in the country was happening on that day. Just this crazy bearded guy running around Bristol for, for his 401st marathon. So the world's media was there, which was amazing. And it was that final day that the only thing that we hadn't raised was the money. We'd achieved the 401. We were actually 12 miles over. Um, you know, we'd we'd inspired, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, we including talks in 101 schools up and down the country to kids to show them that actually don't put limits in your life. You can do anything that you want to do. Um, the only thing we hadn't hit was the money. But halfway round, with the help of the British media and the support of all the people that supported us, we found the final £90,000 that took us over the quarter of a million pound mark. And I'm not ashamed to say, but I cried live. I cried live on Sky News. Um, but it was, funnily enough, again, at the pub, which is right next to where I live right now. Um, and that final half a marathon back into Bristol was just me running on trails that I learned to run on with mm. people that, yeah, just cared about what it was we were doing. It was It was magical. So endurance running requires incredible discipline and mental toughness. So growing up and before you even started running, do you, did you always have a resilient side to you or is that something that you have cultivated over time? I, I don't know actually um, if I did or whether I just unearthed it. I've always been quite independent, quite, um, you know, as a, as a child, I was sort of happy in my own company. Um, even though I've got, maybe it's because I've got three brothers and sisters, I was <laughs> sort of okay by myself. So I guess I was to a certain point, but n- I wouldn't say in an outstanding way, no more than anybody else, I guess. I was just uh, pretty happy um, in that sense, being by myself. I don't, I wouldn't say I was actually, no. Mm. I think I, it's something which I found along the way of running. I didn't, I didn't actually realise what, what you're capable of doing until you put your mind to it. Yeah. And were you competitive? You know, you said you had three siblings. Were you competitive? Are you competitive now? No, no. I'm sort of, uh, hmm, I would say no, but I'm, I'm pretty certain if friends were listening to us, they'd be like, she's lying. But <laughs> I don't think I am. I'm competitive with myself. And if I don't sort of, I, I if I tell myself I'm going to do something, I do it. And that's it. If I'm running towards the finish line, I'll do my best to try and overtake as many people as possible. But if people fly past me, if ladies or whatever fly past me, I'm always like, go on, girl. Because it's, I just love being part of that. Um, I think when it suits me, I can be. But uh, I don't exhaust myself trying to beat everybody because no, I that's can't. Not what, that's I not what drives you. No, no, I can't. I'm not that fast. <laughs> okay. And you've com- you've completed Marathon de Saab four times, which is just insane to me. I feel like if I ever, well, I will, I will never, but if I ever attempted and completed Marathon de Saab, once and once alone would be enough. I would literally wear that as a badge of honor for the rest of my entire life. So the fact that you've been back um, and done that four times, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it is a 250k foot race through the desert and it's boiling hot and you have to carry your things with you, you know, your, your everything you need, right? Your supplies, your water, your tent. So tell us, what is that like? Talk to me about that. What is it like to run that race? So um, what the, one of the hardest things is actually that you have to carry all your things. So the race is spread out over six days. So it sounds really tough. Um, and you're hitting probably over the five days, you'll hit probably over 20 miles a day until the fourth day where they hit you with a with a double um, marathon. It's normally, they change the course every year. They change the distance every year. So it's there or thereabouts. Um, but I think the furthest I run on that, that is called the long stage on that fourth day was something like 96 kilometers, which is a, a hell of a long way. <laughs> and then you have to get up and run again the next day. But the, the tough thing is, is for me in particular, is carrying all those things on my back. So they do actually supply a, 
a sort of tent. It's like a blanket on sticks and they supply water, but it's it's heavily rationed. So they give you water in sort of two or three litres worth every you know, every um, sort of 10 kilometres or so. Um, but that's it. That's all you get. And if you want more water, you get um, penalised or if you want two bottles more, then you're disqualified. So they're very strict with that. But... You have to carry all of your food, all of your survival kit, all of your sleeping gear. Um, and for me, that's really hard. I'm not great with running with any weight on my back. So I had to, to train for that. Um, the good news is, is you're eating your way through your pack as the week progresses. So it gets lighter. <laughs> so for me, and then because I, I couldn't carry a lot of weight on my back, I sacrificed everything that wasn't absolutely essential. So I had no change of clothes. I just wore the same clothes three. It was disgusting. Um, <laughs> I, I basically was on the minimal calories that are required by the by the race organizers per day um so i was starving i was genuinely probably about three to four thousand calories down a day so oh i was gosh. starving so for me the hardest thing is is the food because you become obsessed with food by about the third day you're just dreaming of like roast potatoes and pizza <laughs> carbohydrates salt you know so that's that's tough because you're eating you know rehydrated food and it's a bit grim what um, kind of things are you eating oh so i i would before these races i spend a lot of time um trying to find very very high calorie foods for for hardly any weight so uh this is gonna this is awful so pot noodles right so they have <laughs> two pot noodles are over a thousand calories oh, wow um and they pack down to virtually nothing um there's not a lot of goodness in them but they've got a lot of calories and a lot of salt and they weigh nothing so that would be a day's meal so I'll get through in two pot noodles, which is gross. Um, and then <laughs> there are sort of some nutritionist, you know, sort of uh, uh, ready sort of dehydrated meals you can get. But I found the first couple of times eating the same thing every day is miserable. So um, I packed um, some Parmesan, which was heavy, but tasty. <laughs> I had, I vacuum packed that. What else? I bought all sorts of strange things. I vacuum packed a croissant uh, for the first day because um, that weighed nothing. It was a lot of calories. <laughs> wow. What about sweet stuff? Do you have any gels or like sweets? So I don't have a sweet tooth. I love savoury food. But yes, I'd have um, no gels because they're actually by weight to uh, sort of calorie ratio very heavy. So it would be sweet. So things like, um, you know, chewits, that sort of thing, which were quite, quite lightweight. I'd have maybe a packet of those a day, something like that. Yeah. Gosh, um, really not what I expected. I, I was thinking you were going to say, you know, that you were e- eating almonds and macadamias or like something that, There's you know. a lot of macadamia. So basically the first year I did it, it was a lot of nuts. Okay. There was a lot of nuts in there. And it got to the point where by about day four, I couldn't look at macadamia. I couldn't even look <laughs> at a macadamia. And I'll be honest, I've not eaten them since because okay. I survived on those for the first race and seeds and all those sorts of things. And it was, it was tough it was really really tough so um, you're not selling it to us Susie well <laughs> get your but this is the thing so by the fourth time I'd got my food right and I okay. did actually have a variety of food I had um I had a rehydrated mashed potato I found a really really good quality a version of that and it was delicious okay. um but yeah the food is, is hard to get right mm-hmm. so that aside um the running actually it's almost like it's extraordinary it's a beautiful landscape it's, you think of the desert, you think of sand dunes, and yes, there are a lot of those, but it's extraordinary. It's just like no other place on earth, and it's it the, the landscape changes as you move through it, and it's so beautiful. And the sunsets are extraordinary; that you can see every single star in the sky. Wow! And you sort of fall into a routine. You get up, you run. It's pretty tough. It hurts your feet because your feet are wrecked because of all the sand in your shoes, and then you get back to camp, which is uh, which moves. It's a different place each day. And you are in a tent with seven other people, and these people become your family. There's no, um, you're not allowed any communications. There's no phones. You, you are cut off. You're in a little bubble, and 
these people at the start of the week, you know, you sort of you sort of know them, but by the end of the week, you really, you know, really them. know. You've them. shared <laughs> a lot of stories. They've seen a lot of things. We've all seen a lot of things, and you carry each other through the week and through every race. It's the thing you remember the most. The sort of your camp, your camp life, and the people you meet, and it's it's extraordinary. It's really really extraordinary, and I'm I'm still friends with. Those people I've, I've uh, you know, slept with in the desert under the stars. It's extraordinary. Wow. And what's the terrain like? I know you mentioned about sand in your shoes, but obviously if you if you train on, on you know, the road, mm. what's the terrain like underfoot? Is it sandy? So I would say it depends because they change the route, but you're going to be looking at maybe about 30% sand. And when I say sand, I mean, you know, when you go to the beach, and there's a really fluffy sand, that, wow. and up and down sand dunes. So that's that's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to run on that stuff. Mm. Um, and then the rest of it is actually... Um, quite hard underfoot it's very compact lots of sharp rocks so your trainers will be wrecked I mean completely wrecked I have a new pair on for this day one and by day six they're ready for the bin um, they're absolutely I've never known anything like it they're completely wrecked so it is actually quite like um, really hard ground mm. underfoot so actually not too dissimilar to a road but then you have probably about maybe 15% of really technical climbing. So you'll be going up uh, mountains, um, sort of clinging onto rocks, and I'm terrible at that sort of stuff, and then coming down sort of sharp declines. So um, a lot of rocks as well. So I'd say it's sort of rock, hard, compact ground, and very fluffy sand. And the heat. We haven't even mentioned the heat, because that's something that um, Ian described as being, you know, in terms of training and preparation, especially living here in the the UK right now. You know, how do you train and prepare for that heat? So the, the heat is is can be difficult actually um it's actually not been too bad in the sahara the last two times i've been there it's been hot it's the sahara but it's not been insufferable um one year i did it it was it was extraordinary it was it was over 50 degrees which is ridiculous <laughs> celsius it was so hard and uh, you have to because the race is in april you have to train over winter which is obviously nothing like the sahara desert um so i uh, work with kingston university they have um, a very good sports science department i've been good friends with them for many years and they have something called a heat chamber which is a box with with one tiny window and they can control the um the the conditions inside and so you go in i go there probably every day for two weeks you go in for an hour and they set it at, you know 28 degrees <laughs> and then you're you're running sweating going oh this is ridiculous how on a I, treadmill on a treadmill sorry yes thinking how am i going to survive the desert and then each day you go back they crank it up a little bit more um and what it does it adjusts your body acclimatizes you and um that's worked every time for me um and i think i've also done one year and it was quite hard to factor it was quite difficult to get to and from kingston university so i'd factor in a lot of hot yoga i found a very good hot yoga studio and that was really good because what i was doing was actually um stretching a lot before (laughs) before the race so i felt quite good um you know a really good hot yoga studio helped me as well um just basically just anything that raises your core temperature Mm -hmm. in a safe way um in the lead up to the race but you don't actually need to do it any more than about three weeks out because otherwise it's it's just going to be wasted sure oh it sounds incredible and honestly it's so inspiring to think about you know i think we all are guilty sometimes of assuming what we can do and you know defining ourselves and putting ourselves in boxes and having our comfort zones and maybe thinking oh you know i can run but i can only do this or you know what i mean so hearing you describe that you know as such a physical challenge a mental challenge and actually just the description of it i just think it's so amazing as you said before what the human body really can do Uh, genuinely genuinely i can tell you now if you 
went to the start line and had a look at that start line is a thousand people all different demographics all different body shapes they all have one thing in common and is they they want to be there and that is all you need the dropout rate of that race is very very small and and you can you can walk it and finish and the, all you need is to want to be there and I genuinely genuinely believe that anybody if they really wanted to do that race they can because when I signed up to it I had no clue if I could do it and everybody told me I couldn't and actually you know what I had and what all the other runners had in common is that they wanted to be there and they wanted to finish and uh, I genuinely believe that if people out there want to do it then they really really can yeah wow why why did you say people told you you couldn't oh because they just don't want to look at me and say, oh, you because it, it, I mean it sounds on paper incredibly tough and you know it is it really really is but um I think it, it sounds so unattainable to somebody who's just running off marathons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it isn't. It really isn't. It's about attitude, I would say, um, and, and how you approach it. And yeah, I, I mean, I trained, I trained quite hard for it. Of course I did. But um, in that race and with all ultramarathons, it's very much a state of mind. You could, your training's only going to get you so far. You mm. know, I've been in 100-mile races and there have been elites who have trained very, very hard. Um, and then, you know, people that have actually probably not trained nowhere near to the, to the extent, you know, an elite might drop out because their head's in the wrong place. And then, you know, the other person's going to get to the finish because they want it. Wow. So in those sorts of races, you, your head needs to be in the right space and you can do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I was run. I ran a lot of school. Okay. So, like most people, um, school offered kind of regular opportunities mm -hmm. to be physically active. Yeah. And my school, had, you know, was, you know, known for the fact they had an really amazing football team and amazing track team, amazing swimming team. And we, we had like people who went to the Olympics that came from our school and right. cricketers and all these kind of people. So, um, I, you know, I ran track. I ran four hundred meters, eight hundred meters cross country when I was at school. Played football. Went okay. to university, yeah. You know, started listening, discovered clubs, and was yeah. like, oh, "I don't want to run around in one anyway." <laughs> but more, it was just because I was surrounded by people who were into sport. Okay, they were yeah. all music heads, right? And you know, in those days, it was very much like people who exercised generally exercised for aesthetic reasons. Mm -hmm. I.e., I want my chest to look big, yep, so that I can intimidate people, right? And I was just like, I don't want to be one of those kind of intimidating guys in the neighbourhood just walking around with my boxing my top off, you know, and scaring people. Mm, yeah. So I, I was, yeah. So I didn't. I never gravitated towards the gym. Yeah. You yep. know, because the gym was an intimidating place. Mm, that gym culture, yeah, is a thing. And I think as well, um, from a female perspective, I I think at that time it was more working out, exercise. All of those things were just literally a goal for weight loss it yeah. was like burn calories lose weight work out it was like why else would you go to the gym like all of the kind yeah. of um the narrative around everything then was you know you just go to sweat you just go to punish yourself you just go to burn off that i don't know piece of cake or that wine yeah. or whatever um which is yeah thank goodness it has changed over time um i think there is still unfortunately still, probably I mean, an element of that yeah, but yeah, i think yeah. there's people are yeah now waking up to 
the host of benefits from exercise, from uh, mental health benefits, physical benefits, you know, community, socialize, it's so many things. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that is, you know, what Rundem Crew has done for so many people. But how did that how did that get started? How did it go from you kind of, you know, going out for your run where you didn't want anyone to see you to the, the huge global community that it is <laughs> now? I mean, it almost just seems... I bet did you you couldn't have imagined that it would have grown to what it has become I, now. I never imagined Rundem would get to as big as it's got. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. But I think we were very fortunate in that there were certain cultural shifts that happened along the Rundem crew journey. So, sure. you know, we started in the MySpace era. Oh, okay. That's when, you know, when we first kind of popped up around 2006, 2007. When Twitter came, mm-hmm. it basically then allowed us to be like, you know, I ran on Saturday Sunday. But on Monday, I was in the studio. You could actually talk about that. Yeah. So that was kind of like people could then see that this was becoming a bit of a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, you weren't just running and talking about running 24-7. When Instagram came, obviously, they added a visual element. And yeah. then that kind of, you know, allowed the international connections to start happening and to, you know, for that story to unfold. But for myself, you know, I literally woke up one day, um, probably around 2006, and I looked in the mirror and I was just like, I'm really not happy. Right. You know, and it was one of those really strange things where I'd kind of accumulated all of the material things that I wanted. Sure. So okay. I had a Mercedes G-Wagon in the days when you drive that down the street <laughs> and people think you were driving a tank. They didn't even know what it was. Like, there was one place in London you could go to get it repaired and it yeah. was super expensive. I mean, right, I only bought one because Jazzy B from Soul, Soul had one. And I was like, I saw him with one. And I think Dan- Dancing Danny D had one. Like, basically all the producers I kind of respected, right. they had them. So, so like, you'd made it. You'd made it. I got one of those. I had like 400 pairs of trainers in my record collect. You know, s- sneakers that I'd collected. Yeah. 40,000 records. Wow. And yeah. I know you still have a lot of them. I've still got I've a lot of, lot of tunes. In the a lot of tunes. And that's just a very small corner of the collection that people get to see on Instagram but um, I had all this stuff yeah. all, I had all the things I wanted you know I kind of I was seeing this girl who was living um, in New York I was kind of travelling back and forth to New York a lot every six weeks I was balling you know yeah, but I just taking all the boxes that's why I come on there I was just like you know what I actually just don't I'm not happy I'm not happy with the way I look and I'm not happy with the way I feel inside right. and I'm not happy with the 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 world that I've created around me and I want more wow and um, I literally I think it was Christmas Day I've been reading this thing about Daley Thompson I saw this picture of Daley Thompson and they were, they were like Daley Thompson always trained on Christmas Day right and there's, you know, there's a really famous picture of Daley Thompson at the end of an event and he's standing up and everyone else is on the floor battered right and I was like right <laughs> I liked Daley Thompson when I was a kid yeah. I'm going to be Daley Thompson right grabbed a pair of Air Force Ones from the- Christmas Day <laughs> yeah Christmas Day went out try to run as quickly as I could because you know when I was at school I was you know I was fast I was like you know running 100 meters like um and I lasted about five minutes yep not even that it was so and I just remember it being really embarrassed and then I remember like someone walking past me who kind of looked at me with like mate it's Christmas day what are you doing what are you doing but so many people I think when they first run this is when people tell me Adrian I can't run I hate running and I'm like you're running too fast I think that is a common mistake (laughs) right new runners it's like right run fast fast and then you're like you don't have to run as fast as you can you can jog you can slow it down you can take a breath you know look around and people are like oh actually running maybe I can run yeah yeah I think everyone can run it's a primal 
feeling that we all have. You yeah. run towards people you love, run away from danger, run for survival. It's kind of, but I think every time you, it's one of those things that's so easy to do because it's just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. That people think they should, everyone thinks they should automatically be good at it. Mm-hmm. And the barometer of being good at running, you know, has always been how fast can you go? Mm, yes. You yeah, know, that's right. a very old school kind of, yeah. if you can run fast, then you're a good runner. Mm. And so, um, you know, I just went out Christmas Day, you know, and came back really quickly. <laughs> back to the house. Five minutes. You know, and everyone was kind of like, oh, you're back already. How's, 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 how was your run? How yeah, how was your run? That was, you weren't away for very long. And so you immediately just felt very deflated. Right. So I thought, right, okay, you know, how am I going to... And I've tried another couple of times kind of going to the park and running around that because, you know, if you tell somebody you run around the park, that's impressive to them. Okay. Because a park <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a kind of area they can yes. imagine. And that didn't work. And then eventually I was just like, you know, I was in the studio one day and... Um, I used to have a studio on Cambridge or Heath Road mm-hmm. and I was between um, a producer called Lofa and a producer called The Bug who were ba- who at that time were making a lot of dubstep okay. and I was kind of sandwiched in the tiniest studio in the complex being blasted by bass, mm-hmm. you know. But there was this kind of thing where they, the type of music they were making was very scenic, very soundtracky, you know, and it just kind of sparked this idea for me like, look, you know what? What about if I started running at night? What about if I started making music for my to soundtrack my runs, you know? Because it was a really gnarly area where my studio was at, at that time. You know, obviously gentrification has come and swept in. Okay, but um, it was gnarly, you know, and it was kind of it was above an old pool hall, and there was all these characters would just be hanging out, and it was kind of a real mission to get into the building and get out. So I just started running home from the studio at night, you know, come out, run through Hackney and Stratford, run for Victoria Park. And then this all coincided with um, really immersing myself in the world of computer games. So I had this kind of thing. I was like, I'd been to um, Korea and I'd seen um, a, a gaming lounge and I'd seen that people were having these competitions. And I was like, I'm going to become a pro gamer. Okay. I'm like, you know, this record company thing, I'm kind of a bit over it now. Yeah. But, you know, I know that this thing in kind of Asia is really big where yeah. kids are kind of make, winning big money and they're playing Xbox and, you know, for, you know, as a profession. And I was like, right, I'm going to become a pro gamer. So I started really putting in the hours yeah. on the gaming. But I kind of, um, through doing that, I kind of got into playing a, I think it was a driving game. And it was a game where you drove around and you kind of conquered different areas. Okay. I was like, right, I want to be all city. I'm seeing a theme here, Charlie. I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> Honestly, I can relate to this so much because I'm such an all or nothing person. Yep. And I can relate to this thing of, you know, some people, they just dip their toe in the water. They're like, okay, for example, I want to learn to play the guitar. So they yeah. get a guitar, they fiddle around on it. When I decided I wanted to get a guitar, I am on that guitar eight hours a day because this is what I'm doing now. And yeah. I think, you know, hearing you say that, I'm just seeing this theme of you're like, if I'm going to do this, I am going to do this. Yeah. All or nothing, like 100%. So yeah, so that kind of thing, and then you know, my I was playing a lot of computer games, and it was all about conquering territories. And so I'm like, right, you know, London, you know, it's got X amount of boroughs. I'm going to start running from here to here. I'm going to get these stickers made. I'm going to stick them up, like so, to show people that I've been here. And I kind of just was on this covert mission for about a year, I just running that. by myself. And then my friends started to notice. Yeah. And they're like, "What are you doing? <laughs> because you know, you lost weight. You know, so I was about three stone heavier than I am now. So okay. they're like, you're losing weight." Yeah. You know, your skin looks, you just look alive. Like yeah. you look like you're doing something like you're taking drugs. Like <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, 
And I was just like, no, I just, I've been running. Yeah. And they all fell about the room laughing, like, oh my God, no way. I'm like, no, I'm seriously, like, I'm running. I'm like, I'm doing races undercover and, like, I'm really into it. It's a really amazing world. Because I was learning so much about myself. Yes. And I think what happens is when you get into a profession and you become successful, you start to lose the drive of a teenager. Mm. The drive of a teenager when you're sitting in your bedroom and it's kind of like, you know, it's either you and your village by yourself pretending to be Tupac or, <laughs> you know, you've got all these dreams when you're in your bedroom of things that, of things that you want to aspire to do and achieve. Yep. And then you get into that industry and you start, you know, bossing it up. And then eventually you start to take your foot off the accelerator because you mm. don't have to have it down so... You don't have to drive so fast. Mm. So then you start enjoying the life. Yeah. Suddenly you're like, oh, you're enjoying the hotels and the flying first class and the kind of, you know, the, the bougie parties. And you, know, you know what I mean? And so you start to lose your edge. Mm. You know, this is the reason you run this... You start losing your hunger. Yeah. You know, and I'd lost my hunger for life, for music, for everything. And so this had this was suddenly making me re-find myself. Mm. And I was just excited by life again, which I hadn't been. And what I loved about it is that no one else was doing it. Right. It wasn't this thing where now, like, you know, you walk around Shoreditch and everyone's in athleisure. Yeah. You know, everyone goes gym. Everyone's posting about the fitness journey. Like, that was not happening. Mm. So um, a couple of friends were like, you know, we don't know what you're doing. But if it's working for you, then let's get on this. Yeah, because they could see it, right? I think that's really powerful. When people see something, as you mm. described, it's like you can tell people all day, you know, oh, yeah. you should do this or you should do that. But your actions will speak tenfold to them. As soon as yeah. they see something, they're like, hang on, I want it. Whatever they see, they want that. Yeah. It's so much more powerful than telling people what to do. Yeah, I mean, people could see it. It was just like, this guy's deliberately missing the bus at the bus stop so he can race the bus to the next bus stop and then getting on and just sitting down and he's not sweating. I was on some, I was on a mission, man, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's myself, my friend Morgan, um, Andrew, a couple of other people, you know, we got together, five of us every Friday night, we run a mile. Yeah. We'd meet in, um, my friend had a flat in Columbia Road. We run the tower blocks in Columbia Road and we'd run from there to the gates of Victoria Park. Okay, one and mile. Then, it's about a mile, yeah. if that. And then if we were really feeling energetic, we might kind of run a small loop around the park. Yeah. But generally, we ran to the gates, took a picture, you know, walked or, walked or jogged back, yeah. and then we went for food. Nice. That was the beginning of running crew, you know what I mean? That was kind of how it began. When you want to do something, you're willing to make sacrifices and you're willing to change your lifestyle around to achieve that thing. But you don't need to. Like, If you don't want to run an ultra, if you don't want to run a marathon, if you don't even want to run a half marathon or any races, you just want to go get up on a Monday morning and go for however long you want, then that's also fine. Mm. I think that I, I feel the pressure from um, seeing so many people online turning up at these ultra marathons like it's no big deal. Yeah. And I would die. Mm, yeah. Like, and it's a big strain on the I did a half body. marathon in Nepal the other day. The other day. This sounds really casual. but um, And I was like, this is brutal. It mm -hmm. took me like three and a quarter hours. What, because of the terrain and the heat? Because of the terrain. Because I just don't... I'm not used to that sort of... Um, that sort of running. I, okay. I run on the Thames towpath and on the roads near my house. That's just how it's I flattened. can fit it in. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think it's it's... Whilst it's an amazing positive thing that people are sharing these um, adventures that y y 
people can go on and we we're looking beyond the times of like the road races which mm. i think has been very focused on for maybe the last like five-ish years it's definitely going beyond that it's more about trail and distance and duration and how many days can you survive with like a sawn off toothbrush and um yeah grim grim if, you, if that's what you want um, absolutely go for it I'd love to hear all the stories but I do not want to do that No, and you don't have to do those things to be a runner or yeah. to be included because mm-hmm. I think you know there's so many benefits um, of running you know physical, mental, social and if you join a running club and you know you can meet friends and like things like park run you know and that's 5k oh, amazing. Love park run. it doesn't have to be this yeah like long distance thing um, so with that in mind if anyone is thinking okay maybe I could do I could be a runner because I don't have to run a marathon I can just you know run for half an hour do you have a uh, Maybe five, actually, I'm going to hit you. Five tips for new runners. Okay. Do or, not... or non-runners. Oh, yeah, non-runners. Um, uh, don't start out too fast is my top tip because we, I think if we're coming from a non-running background, the only times we run is either playing a sports game, so where you're sprinting to get the ball or something like that, or you're running for the bus or a train because you're late. And that is full-on sprint and then keel over huffing and puffing, which still happens even when you become a, inverted commas, runner. Mm-hmm. Um but people start so fast and then they they literally get, you know, 100 metres, get to their post box and have to pretend to stretch. So just slow down. You can always speed up. Start really slow, almost like embarrassingly slowly Jog. and find a pace that feels like you could do it forever. Um, someone once told me that your body is a metronome and once you start doing something at, at a comfortable pace, you can keep doing it for like almost an unlimited num- like, amount of time. Mm. Um and that's what a lot of our easy, long, slow runs are. Yeah, it took me a long time to learn that as well when I was running. Even, I wasn't sprinting, but I was still running too fast. Mm-hmm. And you know people say your easy miles should be easy and all that. And I was like, yeah, but it's really slow. Yeah. So I'd get used to that. And then I found out recently that apparently Elliot Kipchoge, yeah. his easy miles are like 9 minute 40. 9 minute 40 seconds per mile yeah. is a jog. So I thought if he, Mr. Two Hour Marathon, mm-hmm. is running at that pace, then Adrienne, you can slow down. <laughs> you can afford yeah. to slow yeah. down. Okay, so that's number one. That's Go number slow, one. start slow. Um, sign up for something, even if it's you just saying, right, I'm going to go to this park run. It doesn't have to be a paid for event, although I do find that people, you know, put money where your mouth is. If you've paid for something, you're less likely to bail on it. Um, so you, you have a goal that you're reaching towards, whether that is a 5K, an obstacle course race, um, 10K, whatever, literally whatever it is, whatever your goal, it's going to have to mean something to you, but sign up for it um, and then create, like almost work backwards and create a plan to get yourself there. Um, rope friends in it's my, or your family, your loved one, your kids, whoever it is that will keep you accountable, that will go out with you in the rain, that will meet up with you on a Saturday morning when you may be a little bit hungover, especially. Well, maybe not January, dry January, maybe. <laughs> um, but it's much easier when people are doing it with you and you feel like you're part of a little team. Mm-hmm. Um I had one of my best friends that ran the London Marathon with me and we would do our really long runs together. And That's it was nice. a lovely way of like catching up and, you know, just hanging out. And then we ran the whole marathon together. Um, so it was just, it's really nice, like way of spending time together. Um, I think also just don't compare yourself to everybody online. We're, I'm sure you're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. You look at people's training plans there the fact that they're doing five-day multi-stage ultras and you feel like you're, what you're doing isn't good enough, know that it is. If you are, like, at whatever stage you're, you are at your, in your fitness or your running um, journey, it's enough. Mm. 
and like enjoy being there um, because you'll never get that back again you'll never get the experience of that first race I think we all blow over it so quickly like oh next one next one next one but that's like my main advice for someone doing their first race is just enjoy the process so can that be my number five yeah yeah enjoy yeah. it um, amazing so don't yeah. go too fast start off slow yeah second one was sign up to something yeah third one rope in a friend yeah uh, yeah get someone to join you fourth one don't compare yourself to don't other people. Don't compare yourself. And number five, enjoy yeah. it. Because essentially, isn't that what we're supposed to be yeah. doing? We're this is your hobby. Yeah. Like My husband often has to remind me when I'm getting stressed out. He's like, you know that this is your hobby and you do this for fun. Oh, and yeah. that once it loses the fun, why are you doing it? You're not an elite athlete. And I'm like, yeah, 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 fair. Yeah, chill out. Yeah, that's a good point. I was in the airport coming back from Barbados where the last race I did was a half marathon there and someone said to me in the airport, she was a really lovely, sweet old lady and I was sitting next to her on the flight and she said, oh, did you have a nice holiday? And I said, yeah, she was here to run a race. I did a half marathon and she said, oh, wow, did you win? Oh. I was like, no, but thank you for thinking thank that. Thank you for thinking. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, we're not elite athletes and sometimes like, for example, the next, well, next big race I'm training for is the London Marathon there ain't no chance I'm going to win. And, like, no chance. So it's like, for the sake of, like, coming 20 minutes, you know, faster or 20 minutes slower, personally, I think that's the difference between loving it, enjoying it, you know, crowd, high fives, good vibes, and hating it, suffering, staring mm-hmm. down at your watch and, the, and your feet and just looking at the yeah. pace. I think for so, what? Well, so I, that is how I've run. I ran um, my last marathon was literally, like, head down because part of my enjoyment is running specific times mm-hmm. um, like pushing and yourself. feeling like I've worked hard for it. But I also think there's a time to let go and there's a time to enjoy a casual race with friends or a training run with friends. Or I've got to point in in one of my races um, where I literally I had a bit of a diva moment and I like, took off my watch, gave it to my husband on the sideline, like ripped off the pace bib and was like, I cannot... I, I've flown all the way to Chicago. I'm not ruining this race for my friend, my family who've mm. come and supported me and for myself. So just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a time and a place for everything and also a time and a stage in your life. Like if you're, if it's becoming that your running is becoming detrimental because you're so time focused, mm. then it's going to negatively, it's going to take away the thing that probably relaxes you. It's going to negatively affect the rest of your life because you then don't have this outlet. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a time and a place for... For both, sorry, I'm really gesticulating with my hands. <laughs> I realise no one can see me. No I'm like, one can see. Sit on them. But yeah, it's true. Time and a place. Sometimes you, you know you're there to focus on, especially for yourself to push it. Because I think for you, because you've done so many races, mm-hmm. um, you know, so many marathons, all these things. I guess you have to have something to a keep you going, keep you motivated, and keep challenging yourself. Mm. Whereas I think, yeah, if you're just starting out and you're thinking it's your first one or second one, just forget about yeah. the clock. You know, just enjoy it. You know, I know that you love running. I love running. We're both runners. You even have a podcast all about running, which we're going to talk about. But I think, you know, with what we were just talking about, maybe that's one of the reasons as well that I love running so much because I do think it's mega inclusive. You know, you know yourself when you go to a park run or a race, there's everybody there, every shape, size, age. You know, I got overtook in the London Marathon at mile 22 by a woman who literally looked like she was 90. And I was literally like, you go, granny, because I am walking. Like, you know, and I think that's it. It's really inclusive. So why do you love running so much? Oh, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because sometimes I love it and sometimes I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's funny. I used to love running when I first moved to London and I was 20. Yeah, 
about 20. Um, and I didn't have any money to work out. So running was free and it was my exercise. And it was the way that I kind of got my body to look how I wanted it to look. So, and you know, I will never pretend that isn't the reason I started running. Like I started running for aesthetics um, and it made me feel great. And so I really loved running at that point in my life. And then I fell out of love with running. Um, kind of as I got my job at Women's Health and the boutique fitness market was taking off and I was at studios all the time. Um, and I don't know, running just didn't feel as cool for some reason. Whereas I was going to these like really slick studios and having these great workouts. And so I kind of, I kind of like just stopped doing it like wasn't that interested and then suddenly everyone around me was running in the office and because everyone around me was running and they were like oh what's your marathon time what's your half marathon time it made me kind of fear running really uh, yeah I thought you were gonna say the opposite I thought you were no. gonna say you got running FOMO from everybody running no I was just like well I'm not gonna start running again now because I'm gonna be so slow in comparison to everyone and so I kind of, for years, I was like, not into it, can't be bothered with running. But actually, I suppose it was kind of just me not wanting to admit the fact that I hadn't been running. I was going to be a lot slower than everyone. Probably a bit of an ego thing. Anyway, and then I got asked to do the marathon. And so I had to start running. But I got asked to do the marathon to run for this project, which was all about just finishing. And it was a group called the Finish Liners. And so I got into running then. And then when I started running again this time around, and there was no the pressure of time's been taking away. I didn't have to compete with anyone. I just really connected with it. And it was realized that it was like the time in my day when I sorted so much stuff out in my head. Um, because when you are in a workout where there are like nightclub lights <laughs> and sound, yeah. like you have, you can't think about anything else because you're just like, I have to get through this workout. I am feel like I'm going to die. But for some reason, like, I didn't really think about the fact that then when you go running, you don't have that and you're outside and there was just like, like a moment of clarity. And so I realized actually how good I felt running. I didn't feel like I was abusing myself. <laughs> yeah, it's not another stress. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I just kind of got into it. And then last year, a few difficult things happened and um, sadly lost uh, um, somebody I used to work with and that type of stuff and there was just these like kind of like I suppose mental obstacles and running for me just helped me deal with all of that and helped me just deal with work stress and everything and so I kind of got back into it and I realized that actually you don't have to be the fastest runner out there um running looks different for everyone um and it was the thing that made me feel good so I got into it yeah. I've stayed running right now though um <laughs> I'm finding it quite tough because I'm three weeks out of a marathon and, you know, mileage. Yeah. It's like... It's long, it's yeah. a big commitment, yeah. Um, and like, I really, really don't want to run for three hours this weekend. Yeah. Like, I really wanted to go out for dinner with my friend tonight and have a few drinks in Soho. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Because I'm getting up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's kind of like mm. swings and roundabouts. But yeah, I've sorted a lot of shit out on runs. Yeah, Excuse I mean, my swearing. no, exactly. No, I know exactly what you mean because, you know, as we just, you know, there's a lot of things again then what you're talking about. So I found it really interesting that, you know, you said when you were in that environment where people around you were all running and, you know, you said talking about times and what times this and that, that actually put you off. And I think that is the case for so many people. And it is such a shame because running doesn't have to be like that. Running doesn't have to be, you know, like the kind of elite, you know, running vest club kind of vibe. It can literally be your way, your speed, whenever you want, however you want. And, you know, I, somebody asked me on Instagram recently, she was like, oh, you know, I only run for a couple of minutes and then I have to walk. 
And I was like, so? That's yeah. fine. I said, run for a couple of minutes and then walk. Run for a couple more minutes, then walk. There's no rule that says, well, you're not running properly or you're not running correctly or you're not running enough or that is what I love about it. And it's a shame that it can put people off. Um, but it's obviously great that you, you know, you got back out there, you figured that, you know, you found your own way with it. And I know exactly what you mean about the headspace thing, because as we're all, you know, if we've got busy lives and you know you know we might be in stressful environments we might have work stress or you know just the speed and the pace of life i think when i go out for my run it is almost like my meditation it's my yeah. time off you know i don't have sometimes i run completely tech free no headphones no watch I know where I live. I'm not going to get lost. You know, I just like run and actually look and listen. So I'll listen to, you know, even silly things like if the ground is wet or if it's dry, if it's crispy, if there's, I literally just run. And I think even for me, doing that has been so freeing to not run and look at my watch and look at the pace. And like you said, when you're training for a race, it's very different because you have to kind of hit these things. But um, yeah, oh gosh, I could talk about running all day. And you also have um, a podcast, which is all about running well far. So tell us about that. So that came off the back of my running experience last year and um, me sharing my journey on social media and just actually having so many women going, oh my God, I'm glad you're finding this tough too. And yes, aren't gels gross? And my God, you know, 20 miles, what should you do about that? And so I was having these really great conversations um, in my Instagram DMs. And then this year when it came to kind of creating a podcast, I thought, you know what? I really want to create something which can be really useful to women and be almost a bit like a training buddy. Um, so that's where Welfare came from. Um, we've produced, we will have produced 14 episodes and they all kind of, it's split into three sections. So there's an update from me each week, kind of how my training's going or something cool, which I might've found out about or experienced that other people can do too. And then a bit, which is the useful bit, mm -hmm. which is like how to deal with shin splints or what to eat after a run with really great experts. And then I go on a run with somebody and we just have a chat whilst mm -hmm. running. Um, and so, yeah, it's been fantastic and amazing support from everyone. So I'm so grateful. Wow, I don't know about you, but after listening to that, I am definitely feeling inspired to lace up and head out for a run. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Power Hour podcast. Stay safe and have an awesome week. See ya. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com